Welcome to Verso, a new arts and culture podcast from Phillips. I'm your host, Beth Lissick. On each show, we bring together two guests from different parts of the art world to have an informal, socially distanced conversation about what they're thinking about right now. Today, I'm speaking with Carrie Leibowitz and Kelly Traster, worldwide co-heads of Editions, based in New York. So glad you both could join us. And Kelly and Carrie, I was wondering if you could each talk about yourself in case the listener isn't familiar. I'd love to hear about the different paths that led you both to become experts in prints and editions. I have to say I've been in the auction world my whole career. I got started out of out of college in the late 80s in Los Angeles. It was just one of those, you know, random type of jobs that I took looking to pay the rent. And it was for a small auction house in Los Angeles and they needed an appraisal typist. So I just started really at the the very most entry level position. And it was a great time and timing to get into the business because, you know, in the late 80s is when the classic height of the market took over. And the company I was with greatly expanded quickly, and there were just many paths to go, whether it was joining the furniture team or the jewelry team. Uh, Luckily, the prints and multiples department was hugely popular because it was all the same um, blue chip names that were selling in painting sales. And it was the type of thing after art history classes, I knew all the artists, I recognized the names, and it was a straightforward entry into an area that, you know, was familiar, but yet totally totally new to me because I knew nothing about fine art printmaking. And then just along the way, um, was in LA for 10 years, made my way to New York where I worked for Christie's for another 10 years. And then about 12 years ago, Carrie and I left Christie's to start the additions department at Phillips. And what about you, Carrie? Long story short about my academic career, I kind of bounced around uh, different schools and, and different majors, but the last stop was at the University of Kansas, where I was going for a BFA in painting, um, but I took a lot of art history classes. I worked in the art history library at the museum, and I was also fascinated with how the, the small college teaching museum actually had a really interesting collection that had started forming in the late 19th century. And that got me really interested in the act of collecting. Before that, I never really thought about buying art by artists. It, it just didn't really click in my head as much. And then I started writing to galleries. This was also the late 80s, so it was pre-internet. And they would send me slides. And, you know, this is how it kind of started. And then when I graduated, I moved to Boston and still this continued, but I, I would get to meet certain dealers in person or be a little more hands-on. And eventually, um, you know, I worked for different dealers and, and that, that kind of snowballed into, I worked at Artnet, which is the first incarnation of them having online auctions. And uh, from Artnet, I went to Christie's where I met Kelly and now here at Phillips. But I think there's this, uh, even when we deal with certain clients that have a unusual piece, the collector has usually done a lot more research than, than we have on <laughs> whatever you know, subject they've honed in on. And, and so for, I would say those 
10 or 15 years that I was collecting and working for people, there was a, a very focused plan of attack of, of researching what I was interested in, trying to acquire it, knowing the market because of, you know, my budget or just really obsessively following things. You guys have been working together then for how many years? Yeah, 20 ish. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What's it like to work so closely with somebody that you know that well on this stuff? Do you guys collaborate together while you're while you're working a lot or are you each on your separate paths? I think both. Yeah, both. Yeah. And I think we work together so well that, you know, we just trust each other's decisions. So mm-hmm. there, um, yeah, I think we both have a very similar um, yeah. and, and reaction. We're different, uh, you know, have different interests and different uh, strengths and different specialties, but yet, um, there's there's a, a wonderful symmetry and um, yeah maybe it does obviously grow uh, with age but just a, a very deep and um, understanding relationship uh, that's evolved that I think we're both so thankful for in this complicated mm-hmm. world. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned Carrie that you're a collector. I imagine that you are too, Kelly. What what kinds of things are you each into, Kelly? What do you what do you collect? I don't want to say you name it, but um, it's as, it's as varied, you know, it's like if you go to Brimfield flea market, I go down one path and look at somebody selling beautiful jewelry to somebody else who's maybe got some vintage, either Navajo textiles. Gosh, it, it, it's, it's really all over the place. And, and then obviously prints and fine art is a big element there. I mean, with, you know, collecting, I guess, funds and ability of what you, what you can collect, um, it, it's always been a bit more on the uh, affordable uh, spectrum. But, uh, you know, there's opportunities everywhere, whether you, you find a little gem at, at a flea market or, you know, wait for that one great thing that you love at auction and you figure out how you're going to pay for it. <laughs> Do you have any uh, ones that got away stories that really stick with you? Something that you really wished you could have gotten and you didn't? Oh, gosh. I went to a Rose Bowl flea market, you know, 30 years ago, and I found a little uh, Richard Diebenkorn etching. And I think I was the only person who recognized it because he signs his prints with just his initials, RD. And I just don't think anybody else knew, you know, either recognized the image or, you know, recognized his his hand. And it was the type of thing that, and another um, wonderful uh, California, actually a woodcut artist, bought these things. They were my treasured pieces. And at the time, you know, I had a few bills to pay and I thought, oh, I'm going to make some money by selling this. And then you pay the bill and you don't have the artwork left. So <laughs> more, more disappointment and regret right. that way. <laughs> Carrie, do you have, does something haunt you that you wish that you had gotten that you didn't? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's always little things that uh, I would say haunt me. But, you know, back in the early 90s, you know, I was going to uh, most of the galleries in Soho. And sometimes I would pay off things. And um, at Andrea Rosen Gallery, there was, a, not in the show, but in the back room, there was a John Kern painting, which was um, a portrait of B. Arthur Topless. And, of, of course, I love B. Arthur. And I love John Curran's paintings. And I think at the time that might have been about three or four thousand dollars. And I just thought I I had been paying off different things, but still not at that amount of money. I mean, I was probably not making more than a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars a month. And so I didn't buy that painting. 
And of course I have huge regrets for it. First of all, if I were to sell it now, it would take care of a lot of things for a very long time. But also when things go up in value, you can't get them again. So it's a a catch 22. I mean, there's the value factor, but there is also the, oh, it's out of my range now. I mean, I'm a fan of a lot of different artists and some of them I was able to really hoard at, at certain periods of time. But as they become more successful and I'm happy for them, it also, you know, I'm, I'm suddenly on the, just the back burner as, as far as being able to ever get something again. So, yeah. I wonder where she is now, B. I wonder who's. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not sure who has her now, but I mean, I've seen her in museum shows and things, but well, uh, yeah. What's cool about working with multiples and knowing about that world of multiples as opposed to one-offs? Well, I think um, in, uh, to generalize, there is an accessibility factor, which makes mm. me feel good. You know, I mean, there could be prints that are in the six-figure range, but compared to the paintings, uh, you know, the, the painting market is, is very different. Both, I think there's ego, there's money, there's rarity. And I think ego and money are on both sides, <laughs> selling and, and buying. But I think prints, there is something about even the artist knowing that this is going to be a print. I mean, there are some prolific contemporary printmakers that that's just part of their vocabulary. It, it's not that, oh, they're making a print project for you know for some fundraiser or whatever. It's that they like this medium very much. Louise Bourgeois was prolific and Kiki Smith uh, pushes every button and plays with every uh, experiment. And Nicole Eisenman, you know, is like a natural born printmaker. She continues to, along with paintings, make really great prints. At the same time, this isn't one masterpiece for one person. You know, these are things that might be editions of 50 or 60 or, or more. And knowing that it's it's not for one person, I, I think as an artist, you you get this uh, sense of that you could share more. Yeah, and I think that that falls into the notion of just the history of prints. You know, back from old master uh, religious. You know, the in the fourteen hundreds, where it was just it was the way. It's almost like a you know a newspaper. It was a way to get images and ideas disseminated. And I think there's something really democratic and beautiful about this whole history, even since then, that these printmaking techniques have still stayed around, become more, I think, more important, just whether it's to get the artist's image out there, whether there's, you know, market factors, but yeah, this ability for the world to have, to have that image in a bit easier format. So your last sales season, mm-hmm. Um, how did it go? How how are things going over there right now in this wild time? Well, it went it went great. I, I think prints are um, continually popular, and whether it's you know people who are collecting other types of things at more at higher more expensive price points, you know prints become that much more attractive and 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 doable and maybe a safer purchase but i think it's it's also just uh, how worldwide you know digitally if everything's really being looked at and transacted online then prints and our sales have really benefited from just this huge ability to get these images and just awareness and attention of our sales out there 
So we, we, we've been very fortunate in the last four months and along with, you know, anybody else who's selling prints too. <laughs> and prints lend themselves to, you know, a familiar status. So, you know, somebody could say, oh, I bid on that same print two years ago. I was outbid and this time I'm going to be more aggressive. And mm-hmm. I think fortunately for us, that's what they've been doing. Um, people, I think with more time on their hands and the accessibility of the bid button on their screen, they've been just more involved and more determined. Yeah, I think for our last sale, we noticed a lot, uh, a, a large number of first time ever buyers to Phillips. So that was encouraging. Yeah. Is it, is it a good time right now? Would you say for, to get into it, if you've never even, you're not looking at that print that you got outbid on last time, but you've never even done this before. Like, why is this a good time to get into the art market? Maybe because there's just so much out there. I mean, I I think, you know, all these different auction platforms, there's a lot out there and, you know, not everything is a record price every sale. There's so much that, you know, can slip through the cracks. Or even if you think, you know, last sale, it brought a record price. Maybe all those people have moved on and are looking at something else. That It's just always important to be diligent and really kind of see it through because you just never know where something's going to go your way. You're going to get what you really wanted for what you think is a really fair and, and good price. I think a lot of collectors, uh, it, it's just like dating or, you know, the... Groucho Mark saying about, I never want to become a member of a club that, or I wouldn't want to be a member of a club that would have me. Of course, that's a really bad paraphrase, but <laughs> you know, there's always that thing where, oh, it's selling cheap or no one's bidding on it. So I, I shouldn't like it either. And I think that is always a mistake. You know, there's always trends mm. going on and I think people need to follow their intuition. If, if, they have always liked this one artist. The price has really gone down. It shouldn't be a reflection that they shouldn't buy it. You know, right. I think trusting it, it, your gut. If you want no. it for yourself, you've got to trust your gut on that. I would think, unless right. people are looking looking as investments, and then, but th- but I think in that too, you would think you would still trust your gut internally that what you like is actually something that is valuable. I I do like to remind clients that usually the biggest regret is what they didn't buy, not that Mm -hmm. they overpaid for something. Mm -hmm. Right. Going back to B. Arthur. Mm, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's why. No pain, no gain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And in, is that like looking at the silver lining of the pandemic right now that we can't necessarily go out as much as we want. And so What's the what's the upside for editions and and prints right now? More people to be living with with fine with with better quality material on their walls. And and people who have this have been collecting for twenty or thirty years. This might be a reassurance that oh, quality of life is important. And you know, I've put these things on my wall for years, and I used to not be home more than you know. Now I'm home all the time, and I've put together a great collection and I want, I want more. Yeah. Not being able to travel, not being able to go out and immerse yourself in other environments as much. And so you're sitting at home and you're, you're looking at what you have around you. Yeah. Okay. Wild card time. What artist that's coming up in the fall auction, would you want to go for a walk with in Central Park? 
And how do you think it would go? Well, it's hard for me not to say Andy Warhol, uh, just because that just seems like such an immediate right answer for me. And I think it would go fine. I don't think either of us would talk or maybe we would be wondering where there was still a flea market to go to. But I I think that's my uh, obvious but heartfelt answer. And Kelly, what about you? Who are you with? Well, I think if if Warhol's Carrie's choice, then I have to say Picasso's mine. And I, I think I would just be—I mean, I'd be incredibly nervous, but I would—I think I would just be very curious what what he would be like if if he is accessible. Would he respond to personal questions? Would he? Do, does he only want to talk to somebody you know who's a certain name? Uh, you know, or or how? challenging the questions would be. I I think I'm just, there's always a curiosity with him. And maybe one of the questions I'd ask, even though it just seems nerdy and maybe simplistic, but, you know, he, with his printmaking, he just, he used every single technique possible and invented his own. And, And I think I would just love a couple of sentences almost that we could reproduce in the catalog. And, you know, what were either his favorite pieces, what were his favorite techniques, what, what did he just get the most satisfaction from? And I, I feel like with printmaking in particular, there's, there's such a lack of great art historical detail and documentation out there that with all these artists, I think we just long for more, more anecdotes about printmaking and, and what they thought about things or, or just factoids. Who would be the first one to get a hot dog, Andy or Picasso? <laughs> would either of them eat Andy. a hot dog from Central Park? <laughs> oh, I think Andy would definitely eat a hot dog from Central Park. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what about, um, would anybody, would either of them take a carriage ride with you <laughs> and pay $120 for 15 minutes? I, I could see Picasso uh, doing it to humorous, you know, <laughs> like, all right, if you really want to. Yeah. Oh, and I also, I meant to say, I love the title of this series because we use the word verso all the time. We always talk about oh, recto yeah. and verso, and it's a very, I don't know about the painting department, but I know for, for prints, it's a traditionally really great uh, terminology. And a lot of people think it's recto, and they also think that's dirty. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, whatever gets people in. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, not well, dirty, it's, like, it's just the way you say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning into Verso, an arts and culture podcast from Philips. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Bye for now. <laughs>